This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. I beat Stop Singer. Toss on off the first in time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye baseball. Straight away center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven scoreless innings. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back, Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Thanks for being here. Hope you had a good off day. Mariners back to work today in Detroit. We're going to talk about the matchup tonight coming up in a couple minutes. We'll preview the series coming up as the Mariners, well, coming off the win in Oakland, trying to put a good series together against the Detroit Tigers, then on to Cleveland coming up over the weekend. And then back home, back home for May. Boy, a long, long road trip. We'll see what the Mariners can do on the next two legs of this trip. So here's what we're going to do on the podcast today. I'm excited about this one because we get to play some of my favorite audio. Jackie Robinson Day is one of my favorite days of the entire season. This year it fell on a weekend, so I didn't get a chance to play a, a couple of things I like to play this time of year. And I know uh, those of you that have been with the podcast for a while have heard this, but we have new listeners all the time. So I imagine there are many of you that have never heard a couple of these interviews, but I think they're spectacular. Aaron Goldsmith sits down with Vin Scully, who talks about Jackie Robinson and just tells an all-time great story. If you've never heard it, you are in for a treat. Ken Griffey Jr. talking about Jackie Robinson and also Rick Riz with Don Newcomb. So that comes up on the podcast. We have all that coming up in a few minutes. As uh, belated, we celebrate Jackie Robinson Day here on the podcast. Right now, let's take a look at the series coming up in Detroit. Three in Detroit starting tonight, 410 first pitch. Also 410 first pitch on Wednesday. And then breakfast with the Mariners on Thursday will be a 1010 a.m first pitch so it lines up like this Felix against Jordan Zimmerman tonight James Paxton against Daniel Norris a couple lefties go at it on Wednesday and then Asashi Iwakuma against Justin Verlander a couple of vets going at it on Thursday let's take a dive into the matchup tonight Detroit on the season They've had a good start to the season. They're 10-8, and eight, tied for first place in the American League Central, tied with Cleveland for first place. So the Mariners will see, at least as we stand right here, the two teams tied for first place in the Central. So off to a good start. They've won a couple in a row. They've been better at home than on the road, 5-2 and two at home, 5-6 and six on the road. But Miguel Cabrera just won on the DL. So they're going to be without Cabrera. He's on the 10-day DL. He's going to miss this entire series. 
Jordan Zimmerman will take the ball tonight. He signed last year with Detroit, signed in the offseason a big free agent deal, and really struggled with the Tigers. A uh, couple-time All-Star with Washington, but with Detroit last year, a 4.87 ERA in just 18 starts, 105 innings during the course of the season. Uh, since 2012, he had thrown at least 195 in 12, 13, 14, and 15. In fact, he crossed over 200 a couple of those years and went 199 and two-thirds in the other. So a guy that really soaked up a lot of innings for the Nationals and was very effective for the Nationals. He hasn't, have, hasn't found that yet for the Tigers. So far this year in three starts, a 5.94 ERA, 16 and two-thirds innings pitched so far, 18 hits, 11 runs, 7 walks, and 10 strikeouts so far. In his three starts, his last time out, he was in Tampa Bay, went six, gave up ten hits and five runs. Start before that, couldn't get out of the fifth. Four and two-thirds against the Twins, gave up five earned. After a good start to the season against the Red Sox, he went six, gave up four hits, gave up one run, one walk, and three strikeouts. Remember last year was a very strange series, a strange season series against the Tigers, they went to Detroit in June, and they were swept in four games in Detroit. A couple of really bizarre games along the way. Mariners lost a game in 12 innings in the first one, 8-7. to seven. Uh, They came back the next day, lost 4-2 to two to the Tigers. Then uh, game three of the series, 5-1, to one, and then lost in 10 innings on game four of the series. And then the teams met later on in the season – at Safeco Field in August, and the Mariners swept Detroit in that series. And that was a game, uh, a series where the Mariners won a couple of close ones, 3 nothing, 6-5, to and 3-1. to So a weird series, a season series, where both teams swept the other at home. And one more random thing before we get to the interviews, just because I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's April, so... I've, One of the fun things I think about April is to look at some of the pace numbers, some of the numbers you see in April and, you know, where they would go if player A kept on that same pace. So I was looking looking at Mitch Hanniger. What I think it it does is when you take a player like Mitch Hanniger and kind of pace out what he's doing now, I think it can really put in perspective, you know, the kind of year he's having when you can put it in full seasons terms. So when I did the pace numbers, he is on pace to bat 321 with 32 home runs, 130 RBIs, 57 doubles, 105 walks, 154 runs scored, 16 stolen bases, and 203 hits. I think that puts in perspective how good he has been early in this season. Definitely not saying he can keep that pace up because it's, I mean, that's an impossible one to keep up but uh, he has had that kind of impact and having a tremendous first month here for the Mariners so I just I was very interesting to dial all of those numbers out all right Felix on the mound tonight against the Tigers should be a good one now right now we're going to hand things over to Aaron Goldsmith with Vin Scully Vin, this day every year is a special day for everybody involved in baseball, but it must be even more special for you. What are your emotions like on the 15th of April every season? 
Well, because I go back so far with the ball club, because I knew Jackie reasonably well, I also am thrilled when Rachel shows up because I have nothing but the best and highest regard for her. Uh, So it brings back the memory not only of Jackie, but what happens is it brings back the memory of all those other players who played with him and against him. Uh, I first met him in spring training of 1950, so he'd already been up a couple of years. And the first road trip, actually the end of the spring training, we left Vero Beach to go to New York by way of Texas. So that's quite a trip. And uh, we lived on trains and would uh, get to a hotel to take a shower and move on. And it brought the team together. And probably one of the, the great things that happened to Jackie and for Jackie was the thought that uh, Mr. Ricky had about Vero Beach. Vero Beach was a former naval air station, and the Dodgers were able to lease it for a dollar a year from the government. And the best part about it was uh, for those black players who eventually came into the organization, there was nowhere to go. Uh, the only They couldn't go to any of the cities really in, in and around Vero Beach except for one small town called Gifford. And it was a black city really, a black community, mostly all black people who worked in the area. So the only where, only place a, a black Dodger could go would be to Gifford, and there wasn't anything. There was a pool hall there. I know that, and I know some <laughs> of them shot pool, but that's about all they had. The positive about that was being restricted on campus, so to speak, uh, brought us all together much more so than it would be today. Today they'd be gone as soon as practice is over, but living in Vero Beach at Dodger Town, you had to amuse yourself with others. And that brought Jackie very close to all of his teammates, along with Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb. I can remember as a kid broadcaster after dinner, sitting outside the dining room, and Roy Campanella would sit on a little wooden bench. It, we eventually had a sign, uh, Campy's Bullpen. And Campy would sit and tell stories, and uh, the rest of us would sit around and ask him, and he would talk about the the so-called, in those days, Negro Leagues. And Roy would talk about playing three games in three different cities in one day. But the point of it is it brought us so much closer together, and I think it eased Jackie's uh, entry into organized ball, or at least the majors. On the broadcast tonight, Dodgers fans will be able to hear you talk about countless stories about Jackie Robinson. What is your favorite Jackie Robinson story? Well, I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but it's certainly appropriate for tonight. Uh, We were on the road in Cincinnati many, many years ago, in the very early 50s. And uh, although Jackie had received threatening mail of sorts, Uh, The one when we were going to Cincinnati was taken very, very seriously. And there was a tremendous police presence on the rooftops of the ballpark, on the roof of the uh, old laundry, which was back a left field, on the roof of the post office, which was down the right field line. They were everywhere. It was that serious. And uh, before the game, they had the usual team meeting, but there was a lot of tension in the air. We were all aware of the possible threat. 
And uh, while all the players sat there with the coach and the managers, everybody, uh, we had a left fielder named Gene Hermansky, who was from Brooklyn. Big, blonde, good-natured, happy-go-lucky guy. And the room was pretty quiet. And all of a sudden, Hermansky said, I've got it! And everybody kind of straightened up and looked at him and said, what? And Gene said, we'll all wear number 42, and nobody will know which one is Jackie. Well, it broke up the room. It broke the tension. And little did we know that Gene's suggestion would eventually come to pass. Because tonight, like Gene said, everybody will wear number 42. And I think that's probably my favorite story. That's a wonderful story. Vin, you're such a gentleman with your time. We appreciate it so much. And you're such a gentleman. You won't let me call you Mr. Scully. So with that in mind, Vin, thank you for your time. It's been an absolute honor. Aaron, thank you very much for the privilege of talking to the good folks up in Seattle. And here's Rick Riz with Don Newcomb. Well, Don, a very special day in baseball, April 15th, 1947. That was the day the game of baseball really changed. Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, and you followed Jackie with the old Brooklyn Dodgers only two years later in 1949. What was going through your mind and the other great African-American players the day you heard that Branch Rickey and the Brooklyn Dodgers signed Jackie Robinson to a, a professional contract to go to Montreal and play? Well, I had signed the contract along with Roy Campanella. Let's not forget Roy Campanella in this whole uh, right. interview. And Roy and I were supposed to go to Danville, Illinois, to play in the Three I League on the Danville Dodger team in the Class A, uh, you know, right. a classification. When he, uh, uh, Branch Rickey, called the president of that league, he said to Branch Rickey, "If you send." And they use the, the N-word. If you send the N-word out here, I'm going to close the league down. They'll never play here. So Brian Tricky said, well, what do, you, what do you mean? And I said, no, they, they'll never play here. So we had to be withdrawn, Roy and I, and we checked the Dodger farm system to find out where we would go. And the Dodgers had one team left, and that was in Nashua, New Hampshire, the Class B level. And we wound up going to Nashua, New Hampshire, and we played in Nashua, and Branch Rickey got a call from the president of that league and said, I don't care what color they are, just send them out there if they can play baseball. Branch said they can play baseball, I signed them to a contract. Send them out and, like, and they can play in this league and they can do anything they want to do. And we went to Nashua, Roy and I. Roy became the MVP that year in 1946 in Nashua, New Hampshire. I won 14 and lost four. Wow. And I had to go back the next year <laughs> to make sure I was the right, in the right place. I won 19 and lost six before they called me up to Montreal and my advancement to the Dodgers in Brooklyn. Jackie, of course, was the first and only three months later than Larry Doby in the American League with the Cleveland Indians. What made Jackie so tough? How was he able to handle what he did in the early days? He wasn't afraid of anything. He was a man out there with a uniform on, standing on his two feet, doing his job that he was commissioned to do. And he had to whole horde of people that he had to represent yeah. and most certainly Branch Rickey and the Dodgers but outside of the Branch Rickey and the Dodgers a whole lot of people and that included me and Roy and a whole gang of, a gang of other people Rick that he were depending on him because they were not available at the time a man who could do the job that Jackie Robinson did none that I know of and nobody else can tell me that they knew of at that time well they could play baseball but Jackie needed 
to let people know that not only can I play baseball, but I know how to handle myself. Right. I know how to take care of myself. Brand Tricky asked him, if I slap you on your left cheek, what will you do? He knew what Brand Tricky was doing. He was, you know, testing him. He said, Mr. Rick, I'll turn my left cheek. Now I'll guarantee anybody that slapped Jackie Robinson on his right cheek would never have gotten to the left cheek, Rick, because they had gotten up from the floor. Right. He wasn't going to hit Jackie Robinson and then get to his left cheek. Well, he knew how to take care of himself. Thank God nobody ever did that. Nobody mm-hmm. ever tried that. They tried with knocking Jackie down. Opposing players did. They tried with calling them names. They tried with writing them letters and saying they're going to kill them if they came into the ballpark. And they did that many times. In Cincinnati, they did it one time. And they said, if you come, we're going to kill all of you. Visiting with Don Newcomb. Don, 50 years later, 1997, baseball retires Jackie's number throughout the game, number 42. What's it like for you to see all these players the African-Americans, the white players, wearing number 42 in honor of Jackie. A word that's so seldom used by people, even today, Rick, and uh, even then it never was used as far as Jackie was concerned, I don't think. I never heard it. But now it's used all the time. Respect. Respect for Jackie Robinson and what he did. Respect for Jackie and Roy and Larry and all of us and what we did. Jackie couldn't have done it by himself, but he sure tried. He would have tried harder, but he had Roy and I, and then Larry Doby came along, and we all added to the to the whole thing that Jackie was proud of. Jackie was proud of us, too. He was very proud of us. And the respect that we all got is something that we all appreciate. Mr. Newcomb, what a pleasure to have the time to sit down and talk with you about your career and about one of the greatest players of all time, Jackie Robinson, on this very special day in the game of baseball. Mr. Newcomb, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You went to Mr. Newcomb anyhow, didn't you? You wouldn't call me Don. It makes it look like an old I man. Had to. Call me Mr. I had to. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much. I tell you why you're closing on 89, but you look fabulous, Don. Thank you so much. In regards to all my friends in Seattle. And Ken Griffey Jr. on Jackie Robinson. You have certain guys who, who have changed the world, and, and he was one of them. You, know, you look at the draft and where kids are coming from and... and you know, free agency from all over the world um, to get opportunity to play baseball. And that would have never happened if he wouldn't have been as strong as he was to to not fight and do the things that uh, were necessary for, for everybody to basically reap the benefits of, of, of what he did. How did you first hear of him? I'm fortunate that uh, I've got guys who were always in my house, Brooks Lawrence, Chuck Harmon Sr., that were big influences on um teaching the game of baseball and, and what the guys did before they started playing and listening to the guys talk about the barnstorming and you know being in, in uh, buses and hanging the the pants out the window washing them that way and letting them dry mm-hmm. you know driving you know up north down south to 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 play in the winter time to make money you know I just remember looking at my dad talk about that don't exist now and he goes, no, and this is the reason why it doesn't exist. But at age 12, you don't really fully understand uh, the magnitude of what these guys had to go through just to play the game that they love. You know, made it a lot easier for guys like me to just go out there and play baseball and not have to worry about everything else. I've had the opportunity to talk to, I've talked to Tommy Davis, I've talked to Don Newcomb, of course, and the stories that they tell and the graciousness that they tell it with. I mean, obviously it was a very hard time, but uh, they seem like incredible people. Tell us a little bit about the guys that you were talking about as people. 
you look at Chuck Harmon, who is the first African-American pitcher for the Reds, player for the Reds. And then you have Brooke Lawrence, who came in. Um, Joe Black, who, if you talk about Joe Black, I mean, that everybody's eyes light up. Uh, Buck O'Neill. I mean, all these guys were like uncles to me growing up. You know, you very seldom listen to your dad, but, you know, when you have guys who, you know, who tell stories and, you know, who are great storytellers and you're sitting there like, oh, that really happened. They were great storytellers and kept you interested. And I think that's what, you know, some of the kids need to, to hear of what, you know, these guys went through. And they'll appreciate things and start to really focus on, okay, I really want to do this. I really want to play baseball because of these guys. And, you know, I think that's what we're missing now is guys who were able to, to come into these locker rooms who played for these organizations and, and talk to the young guys, talk to the minor league guys, talk to high school kids to get these kids to understand that this world has changed and you can be a part of it and move it forward or you could just stay still and do nothing. You know, your generation is going to change the world. So, you know, you got to be a part of it and you got to be a positive role model in the community and stuff like that. You've got 25 guys out there wearing Mariners uniforms with number 42 on it. What do you want them to take away from today? That the man that we're honoring did everything he could so we can go out there and play this game and not have the racial tension that he had to go through. Him dying at a very early age because of stress and everything else, I think you know that took a toll on him, and that's why he passed away early. And what his family has done over the last 40, 50 years has been been unbelievable. I mean, to, to make sure he stays relevant, which he's going to stay relevant as long as there's guys like me that understand what he did and what he had to go through. Now, I may not really understand what he had to go through, but I had family and stuff who, who were there that tell me. But I'm going to make sure that, you know, when they talk about somebody, it's going to be him. It's been a great thing to see, and it's been great that you've been such a huge part of it. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. See you later!